Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Monday, October 14th, and we have got a week seven ACC football recap for you. Uh, not you know, a ton of uh, positivity to talk about around the Hokies, not a ton of negativity. It was an FCS opponent, so we'll, uh, we'll break down that game. We'll talk about some of the other big games around the ACC and, uh, you know, some other fun banter here and there. But first off, Tim, what's going on? I'm recovering. We had a great uh, birthday weekend with my brother in town. So, um, you know, Sunday is a rest day for me, recuperating to go hit the workday Monday hard as I can um, or as efficiently as I can. But, uh, you know, not, nothing really other than that. You know, football's been entertaining today. The Panthers keep rolling uh, with Kyle Allen, a quarterback. So that's always good to see. I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, you know, but my fantasy squad not doing so good uh, on this Sunday. So, you know, we took some lumps. Uh, college football was fun. NC State and Virginia Tech getting wins. So, uh, yeah, I'm a happy camper in that regard. Yeah, my fantasy's been up and down. Um, you know, I think I'm one and two this week. And uh, the two were really bad. So, you know, that is what it is. Uh, you know, today was kind of like a uh, uneventful Sunday. Got some yard work doing things like that. But uh, got to tell you, on Saturday, Tim, we uh, we headed out to Sesame Street Live. So wow. I don't know if you've ever, <laughs> uh, ever had the pleasure. Uh, but it's essentially Broadway for Sesame Street. And, um, you know, obviously just the wife and I uh, date. Date day, Ooh. which is obviously a joke. Uh, we obviously took the uh, two-year-old, but uh, little Abby enjoyed it. She uh, she had a great time, and you know what was really odd, Tim, was you know last night we're you know kind of past football. It's about eleven thirty. We decided to flip on Saturday Night Live, which was the the first time we flipped on Saturday Night Live in I I don't know two years, right? And it comes on, and they do this little short, and it is a parody on the Joker trailer, but Sesame Street focused. <laughs> and uh, David Harbour was the host. He's an actor who's been in a variety of things. I can't really sure. name what he's been in, but he's Stranger got a recognizable things. face. Yeah, Stranger Things would be the most important. And... Uh, he was Oscar the Grouch, and the theme of it was the Grouch. And I mean, I, I got to tell you, I tweeted it out earlier. Go watch it. It is one of their better parodies they've ever done. Yeah, that sounds opinion. all right. When you linked it, it on was the, uh, hilarious. the Twitter page, I, I watched it, and it was hilarious. Um, so, yeah, that was cool. It, it, it was actually something that I would go watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they'll never do it, um, but, you know. Either way, I was kind of hopeful that they they might, you know. Sesame Street is on HBO now, so maybe they're a little bit more uh, flexible with that type yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's a but. that's a weird marriage, Sesame Street and HBO. But Audrey loves it. Um, you know, we canceled HBO after Game of Thrones, and that's the one thing that I wish we still had was the backlog of of Sesame Street to go through. But uh, what did you guys think of Sesame Street Live? That seems like a great time. You know, honestly, it wasn't wasn't that bad. Good. It was. Uh, you know, it was Sesame Street. Sure. Um, but, you know, they had kind of a modern spin on some of the songs. And, yeah, you know, honestly, it was about an hour and a half-ish, an hour, 45 minutes. I can't remember. But it was, uh, you know, it was all right. Definitely uh, not the worst thing I've ever been to. But the uh, the little one had a good time, so that's really all that matters. You oh, know? yeah. I mean, that's what you're there for, for sure. 
So, uh, you know, after that, Tim, it was uh, it was football time and a lot of a uh, lot of big games this weekend. So we had Oklahoma take down Texas. We had LSU outlast Florida. Notre Dame held off a comeback against USC. Penn State at Iowa was, uh, you know, awful, but Penn State pulled it out. Baylor beat Texas Tech in double, triple overtime. I can't remember now, but Charlie Brewer, uh, yeah. you know, led them to victory. So, fun week outside of the ACC, inside the ACC, Tim. A lot of, uh, a lot of interesting matchups, specifically that Wake Forest-Louisville game. But first... Let's talk about the Virginia Tech-Rhode Island game. So, you know, I think I had hoped to have seen a 55 to nothing game, and it was that was pretty much shot down right away as right. Uh, Rhode Island got a field goal pretty, pretty early on in the game. But, you know, I've purposefully not read a single article or a review of this football game because I didn't want it to kind of affect my take on what we saw. And, you know, I think the game didn't necessarily go, I think, as Fuente probably would have liked it to have gone. You could tell, you know, at the halftime interview and the post game that he was pretty frustrated with how they played on both sides of the ball. For sure. And I thought the offense played pretty well. I wasn't very disappointed with how they played. You know, the guy I was most disappointed in was Damon Hazleton. And... The reason I'm frustrated with him is because that guy looks like a first-round draft pick. Oh, my gosh, yes. Like, he's just got the body type of almost like a Calvin Johnson. That's what he reminds me of running out there on the football field. Now, his play has not reminded me of Calvin Johnson. It's reminded me more of Ted Ginn Jr. Because (laughs) the guy cannot consistently pull in a catch. No. And... It seemed to me at times, and you know, I don't want to be just bashing Hazelton here, but I'm not sure like his motor is running 100 percent on every play. That that but, was at yeah. least like my observation. I don't I don't know if you felt the same way. No, I definitely did. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where, and, and a lot of those athletes, um, you know, that are as good as he is, can make it kind of look like they're half-assing right. it out there when they right. really aren't. Right. Um, but you know, what you do notice is the lack of consistency and that's just not something you can have out of your number one receiver. Um, so if he could ever get that, uh, down pat, the good thing is he gets open quite easily. Um, right. if and he I, starts I think, reeling in some of these grabs, we'll be in business. I think the thing is too, like the reason he probably wasn't back from his hamstring injury was because he wasn't going full out in practice. And I can, I just feel like I'm starting to see that on the field a little bit. Yeah. And you know, is what it is. He had a huge drop, obviously. It would have been a 71-yard touchdown. He would have walked into the end zone right before halftime. A drive that ended as the half expired, so they didn't get any points out of that one. And they would have gone into halftime 24-6 and said they went in 17-6. to Again, right. you know, I thought the offense played pretty well. You know, red zone execution has to get better. I think they had two series inside the five and didn't get a touchdown. They had to settle for two field goals which that's eight points off the board right there. You got the touchdown takeaway. That's 15 points off the board. Like that didn't matter against Rhode Island. That will matter against other conference opponents. So that's something they got to clean up. No doubt. But I was also a little bit surprised they didn't run the ball more. And, you know, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, uh, but there were at times in the game, specifically in the fourth quarter where 
you know, it felt like, let's go ahead and put this game away. Let's try to run the ball. And they had three consecutive passes on the drive. I think it was their first three and out of the game. And it was just like, okay, so we finally got a defensive stop against Rhode Island because they were just going up and down the field on the defense. And we responded with a three and out. Right. Again, didn't end up mattering, but, you know, I'm not going to look into it too much. I think they came into this game trying to throw the ball, trying to get Hinton Hooker some game reps, and that's what they did. And Hooker finished 16 for 27, 261, three touchdowns. I thought he looked really good. You know, that completion number could have been way higher. There were a number of drops. Um, but overall, I thought Hinton played really well. I was really happy with how he played, how he looked. Um, the run game was there for the taking. I mean, McLeese had a great day on the ground, 12 carries for 124. I think that tied a career high for him. Right. He also had an absolutely unbelievable catch on the sideline. Oh, my that gosh. wasn't a catch because his foot was touching the line, but it was basically <laughs> balancing on one foot, hanging over, one-handed grab off of a wide receiver pass from Tavion Robinson. It was unreal. So if you didn't see that, be sure to uh, go and Google it, and you'll find it. Um, you know, Keyshawn King only had six carries, but he, you know, left with a shoulder injury. You know, it appears to me that durability is starting to become an issue for him. And, uh, again, you know, no reason to throw him back in there against Rhode Island. You know, if he's banged up, take him out. But Hooker added 43 yards on 15 carries. You know, defensively, Tim, that's where I was really disappointed with how this team played. Sure. And the biggest loss is Reggie Floyd for the first half against North Carolina. So he was ejected for targeting, which was a questionable call to me since what looked to me to be an obvious targeting early in the first quarter on Hinton Hooker was taken oh, yeah. away because, I mean, it was just it was textbook helmet to helmet. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really kind of unsure on what targeting is anymore, to be honest. Uh, they call it a lot in college, but they overturn it quite a bit as well. Um, so the fact that that one stood was was questionable. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the defense only gave up one touchdown, and it felt like a lot more. In watching the game, it felt like Rhode Island really controlled the clock, controlled the tempo, but... You know, they didn't. Virginia Tech won the time in possession. So I think what was really frustrating about the entire day was just how many big plays were given up, especially in the secondary. Yeah. Especially across the middle of the field. It was just guys were running wide open. There was a play on third and 19, and the guy made one guy miss, the receiver, and boom, he takes it for, you know, 25, 26 yards. That can't happen against nope. anybody, especially Rhode Island. And the fact is they only finished with 24 yards rushing. They did have 286 through the air. And that doesn't sound like, you know, a ton, but, you know, it was. It sure felt and like a ton, Justin. It sure felt like a ton. And their quarterback played pretty well. You know, their receivers were coming down with some incredible grabs, so I don't want to take that away from them. But there were way too many wide-open receivers. There was a lot of missed tackles in the backfield. And one thing with this defensive line that's so just frustrating is when they get back there, like let's say Mario Kendricks is trying to go sack the quarterback. Well, Mario Kendricks is a very big human being. He's not the most swift on his feet. So sometimes the quarterback's going to get away from him. But when that happens, there's nobody to bail him out. It's oftentimes if a guy breaks through that, that offensive line to go after that quarterback, it's just a man on the island. If that quarterback makes a miss, you know, it seems like more times than not, he's able to scramble and either make a play or pick up a few yards down That's the field. That's right. 
So there's just a lot of missed opportunities right now in the backfield. And, you know, they had four tackles for loss, only three sacks. Jared Hewitt had zero tackles in this game. And, again, watching the game, I don't know how many snaps he was on the field. But that just seems to be a cause for concern there a little bit. I'm not sure what the coaches will take from the game. You know, they're probably not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. I mean, I think the the positive is that they can obviously use it to their advantage in practice because it's clear that Virginia Tech has a lot of work to do in various aspects of the game. But it's also Rhode Island. I also think they went in there with a very conservative game plan. It seemed to me like they played a lot of man. Uh, they had Javon, Javon Quillen on the on the field quite a bit, and he's a guy who hasn't played a lot over the last few weeks, and he was getting beat up and down the field in man coverage. So maybe that was a game to get him some reps. I would assume going forward he's not going to get a whole lot because he just doesn't look like he's game ready at this time. Um, so, I mean, my big takeaways, Tim, no turnovers. That was good. No forced turnovers. Not so good. Overall, I was pretty happy with the offense. You know, some odd play calls here and there, but I felt like for the most part, it was really we weren't scoring more points because of execution more so than the play call. And defensively, just feel like in the secondary, back to the drawing board, you know, some things need to be worked out. Um, let's see what's going to happen with Reggie Floyd missing the first half against North Carolina. But they got some high, high-powered high offenses coming up in the next three games with North Carolina, Notre Dame, and Wake. So they better get it figured out back there because if not, it's going to be a really long day for Virginia Tech football. Yeah. No, it will be. Um, you know, there's not really a whole lot for me to add to this game other than it's it's kind of a weird position to have one of these FCS teams come in in the middle of what is the beginning of conference play and not before um, in a season in which we've had so many ups and downs already. Um, that may be tame and boring is what we needed at the time. That's certainly what we got. You know, there are areas still for concern. Obviously, some play calling doesn't look great. Um, it seems like there's still some issues there, although overall the offense seems to flow much better through two games with Hennon Hooker at the helm. Um, it, it, like we said before, it seems like that predication on the read option and, and getting someone in there who can actually run is paying dividends, um, not only for uh, Hendon and, and for the offense, but specifically the running backs. Again, we see Deshaun with another big day uh, looking good. But it's hard to take a whole lot of, out of the offense's efficacy when they're playing Rhode Island, and that's fine. Um, like you said, my real worries are with that defense. That defense continues to lack that playmaking edge, and I think that's going to end up hurting us this year. You brought up a good point in the lack of swarming with the defensive line and getting to the quarterback. It seems like we're only getting to the quarterback with one guy at most. Um, especially when we're not sending two guys on a blitz, which is disheartening, but it makes sense when you consider we don't really have elite pass rushers at the moment, um, and certainly the pass rushers we do have are raw and certainly getting better. Um, but that playmaking edge is what that defense has had for so long, um, and they just don't seem to have it again this year after definitely missing out on it last year. So it's disheartening. Uh, the game overall was just like vanilla ice cream. You know, it was good. It was good. It was a win. Um, the team played well. They didn't turn the ball over. But in the end, there wasn't a huge impression made. 
Um, and I don't think you can really take a lot out of this game. And, and it's going to make next week's episode, when we're looking forward to this UNC game, all the more difficult because I don't really know what Virginia Tech team we're going to get against UNC. And they, Virginia Tech didn't do enough in this game to make me feel comfortable that we're going to get the good version of the Hokies uh, in our next game because we just we, we, we slept walk in a couple of different areas for this game. Um, we played well enough to win, and, and you know it, that's as good as I can say because when I look at that final score, to me that's still not good enough considering how bad Rhode Island is. Um, you got to be beating those teams by more than we did, and uh, you know that's basically my take. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Rhode Island's a team. They're one in five. All of their games have been pretty close outside of a uh, game against Ohio, but it's Rhode Island, you know. They're one in five. They play in the F- FCS. They've, you've got to be a little bit more crisp against a team like that. So that, that was the biggest thing for me in this one. And again, I don't want to look too far into it because, you know, I don't think it was the same game plan that you would have going into a larger no. opponent. Well, no, and it's not. And also, it's wedged in between conference games. Yeah, um, you're coming it's off just, of a, a high of beating game. Maryland. It's it's a weird game, and it's got to be a game that's hard to get up for. Um, if, if you're on the Virginia Tech sideline. So I, I get that. And, and that's why I kind of I mentioned all of that before I gave my impressions because it, it, it's really six, one half dozen of the other. I don't, you can't take anything out of this game, but still the, 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 my closing point is, is really what impacted me the most is that I do hope at some point um, we start handling FCS teams in the manner that we're used to outside of that one game against JMU that we won't speak of. Uh, yeah, I don't even recall what you're talking about. So <laughs> I think, um, again, like I don't think anybody should be overreacting to this game, really taking anything out of it. But so much, you know, just trying to build off of the positive. I think it's good that Hooker got some more game reps. You know, North Carolina is going to come in fresh off a of bye, three and three. They're certainly battle tested. You know, they've had a pretty difficult schedule to, to start the season. And, uh, you know, they're not. They're not too bad to show for it with a with a very young football team. So yeah. and shout out Taj Gary as well. Good to see you. Yeah, Taj Gary. He played uh, you know four carries, twenty four yards in the end of the game. Had a touchdown that was uh, called back or at least called out at the one. But that's right. He looked you know, good. He looked yeah, good. Yeah, he did. He had he had some nice explosiveness. So yeah, uh, good to see him on the field. Not sure we're going to see much of him going forward, but who knows? Um, he still got. I don't know how much he's played already. Has he even played this year? I don't. That, that's the first time I recognize seeing him on the field, so I would assume yeah. that's probably his first time playing. So he could get a smattering of looks here and there if uh, if we got desperate enough. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, Virginia Tech will get ready for North Carolina. They are going to be home dogs against the Tar Heels, which, you know, if you had asked me that before the season, I would have called you crazy. Uh, but that's where we're at right now. So Hokies are 4-2. and two. They are three and one at home, which you know, after last season, that's that's something to be positive about. But uh, yeah, next week is important. We're back to conference play, and uh, let's let's see what they can do. Let's see if they can build off of it and uh, and keep going. So let's uh, let's jump around, Tim, to some of the other games around the conference. And just uh, just because I forgot to mention it earlier, we're glad you're here. If you are here for the first time, hit that subscribe button, leave a review. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. And uh, you can find us just about about anywhere you listen to listen to podcasts. And 
you know, if you ever get lost, just type in Chowder and Grits into your browser, and we'll probably pop up with our smiling faces. Well, there's a good chance. ChowderandGrits.com. So. There's a good chance. We should really work on trademarking that. Yeah. Um, yeah I know. I know. Corporate America is probably looking to steal that at a moment's notice. Um, but you know, we got to protect our creativity. Yeah, no doubt. So let's jump over to Thursday night, Tim. We had NC State taking on Syracuse, and the Wolfpack held on 16 to 10. This game that got up 16 to nothing, and uh, pretty ugly game as far as the offense is concerned. Ooh. You know the the NC State defensive line came to play though. Yeah, eight sacks, 11 tackles for loss, and now a program record 16 sacks over the last two games. And Syracuse had 41 yards rushing on 37 attempts. If you uh, can't do the math that quickly, that's 1.1 yards per carry. So, yeah, you know, the, the worst thing about what happened to the NC State defense is they did lose another defensive back. Chris Ingram uh, went out with a leg injury. Haven't heard an update on his status yet. But if he is out for an extended period of time, that's the third player they've lost in the secondary over the last couple of weeks. So. Uh, something to watch for NC State. That's probably the weakest uh, positional group on the defense. Um, you know, the biggest uh, complaint, I guess you could say, about NC State, Tim, their defense at least, was that they didn't force any turnovers. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Bailey Hockman, he played okay. You know, 16 for 27, 205 in a pick. Made some nice throws. Had some terrifying throws, as he typically <laughs> does. You know, but one thing is for sure, and I want to be sure that I get this in. He throws an absolutely majestic spiral. Oh, my gosh. That thing is tight. The spin rate on that thing is incredible. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean, Trevor Bauer is writing into the MLB office to complain about it as we speak. Yeah, it's it's unreal. So, you know, my biggest takeaway for Bailey is, you know, I think he's going to have to play a little bit better down the stretch. You know, the Syracuse defense is up and down. They've got a really good defensive line. So, you know, I thought he looked okay for it being kind of his, uh, what was it? Was this his first start? Yes. Okay, I get it mixed up because he played so much against Florida State. <laughs> That's right. So this was his first start. The only touchdown in the game came on a double pass uh, from um, Thayer Thomas. Thayer Thomas connected to Trent Pennick. So that was a 32-yard touchdown. That was the big play of the game. But otherwise, Tim, what did you think of NC State in this one? So I think there's a lot of good to take away from what NC State did. I think their quarterback play is going to be their limiting factor this year. I know, shocker. But I thought Bailey Hockman looked good enough, and I think he may be close to turning a corner. The reason I say maybe is because Devin Leary also looks really good every time he's in the football game. And if we're going based off of arm talent alone, I think Devin Leary is the best quarterback on NC State, and I'm not sure it's close. Um, But obviously there's something other than the arm limiting Devin Leary, and what that is I couldn't tell you. Um, NC State's got some running backs, man. Uh, they really, really have some running backs. Jordan Houston and uh, Zonovan Knight are going to be a really good one-two punch moving forward. Um, you know, NC State really, really needs to get better converting in the red zone. I think that's something, obviously, that Dave Dorn is going to be working on. In the meantime, though, Chris Dunn, their their kicker, is probably going to lead uh, and take the team record in scoring before it's all said and done. He's absolutely money. So it's good that they have that kind of kicker after they went so long with Kyle Bambard and the struggles that ensued there. You know, it was a tough win. They gutted it out. The defensive line anchored by Laurel Murchison, who's looking like a first-round NFL draft pick, is uh, they're studly. And, and the linebackers aren't too bad themselves. But as you mentioned, 
Um, there were plays to be made for Syracuse in the secondary, and that's because, you know, NC State was down to his third and fourth string cornerbacks starting on the edges. So um, it's going to be difficult for NC State moving forward. There's not a lot you can do to mask uh, corners and their inability to cover at this point in the season. So uh, NC State's going to have to buckle up and hopefully get more pressure. And that's certainly what they tried to do against Syracuse. I don't know if you uh, you watched the whole game or not, but there was seemingly a blitz every single down. Um and, and they got to DeVito successfully. And, and on Syracuse's side, you know, DeVito's stat line doesn't look bad, but I'm just not impressed with what I saw out of him in this game. Um, no. He was hitting guys that were really open, but he wasn't putting the team on their back when they needed him. Um, you got to be able to score more, more than 10 points if you're going to win in basically any ACC game you play. And he just looked scared. I mean, scared when he got pressure. And the NC State realized that and didn't stop bringing it. There were a couple of sacks where he just, I mean, fell on the ground as if he was just giving up. And I, I'm not sure I understood that. Um, when I when I talk about the mental side of being quarterback, a lot of it's toughness. And I hate to hate to say a quarterback so-and-so isn't tough because they're the ones putting the pads on. I'm the guy behind the microphone. But there were a couple of things I read into where it just, you know, a, a spat on the sideline with a teammate and the coach and the body language coming from DeVito was just really, really poor. Um, not what you would want to see from your offensive leader. So I know that's probably going to be an issue for Syracuse. Um, so from NC well, State. So and, and to the, the sideline reporter about that little spat, said that DeVito was, quote, sulking on the sidelines after that little incident. Not what so you want. That's not, not really what you, what you want out of your quarterback. Um, and I mean, to me, it was pretty obvious that NC State didn't respect him as a quarterback in no, this game because no. that's why they blitzed almost every single play because they're yeah. like go ahead beat us with your arm yeah. see what you can do and he clearly couldn't do it so yeah i mean look he got the yards he got the volume um the stats were there but if you watch that game that was uh and I, jury's still out on devito jury's still out on nc state's quarterbacks i think what we did learn is that both teams are pretty tough um both fought until the end so you like to see that uh, if NC State can figure out how to score in the red zone, I think the the, the ceiling's pr- pretty high uh, in a rebuilding year. So I think you're talking about a seven-win NC State team. Um, if they can figure out how to score some touchdowns, maybe even eight wins, um, because that defense is good enough, I think, to keep you in, in the majority of your ACC games. And Syracuse is um, they're, they're, they, they are a tough team, but if they cannot get more out of that quarterback position— I'm not so sure that they have, you know, a ceiling higher than six wins this year. Yeah, I think Syracuse is kind of in trouble a little bit. And it just doesn't appear that DeVito is ready to be the guy. And this orange team, not just the offense, but this team needs to find an an identity. Because the defense has not lived up to expectations either. So if the offense can't do it and, you know, they, they don't have Eric Dungy coming through the door. Yeah, and you've never seen a team, or you know, I I at least can't recall a team from year to year that has missed a player as much as Syracuse has missed Eric Dungy. Oh my gosh! And I think it's a little bit just of an unsung hero almost because I think people that maybe didn't follow it as closely didn't realize what he was to this team. You know, and it was talked about coming into the season that Devito is a better fit for this offense from a skill set. I'm not seeing it. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, you know, he didn't have much of a running game to help out either. So it's not all on DeVito. Um, but, you know, overall, like the job that, that or the, the, um, 
what Syracuse has put out there on the field so far this year just hasn't really been much to talk about. It's looked pretty bad overall. So uh, my expectations for Syracuse for the rest of the year are not very high. Um, and again, I think you nailed it with the six wins. I think that would be maybe good for them at this point. Yeah. And I, I don't have their schedule in front of me, so I can't really say, but I feel like, you know, the Holy Crosses and, you know, Incarnate Words or whoever the hell, hell else they were playing, those, those guys are gone. Yeah. So now you're just into the thick of the conference play. And I think what we're seeing in the ACC when you're not playing Clemson is that every game's pretty much a toss up. So. There is no easy game in the ACC because no team is really that good in the ACC. (laughs) You get a lot of very competitive games. Well, yeah. Unless you're playing Georgia Tech or Clemson, which is on one scale to the other. So it's actually pretty fun to watch. You know, it's it's fun to watch. And, you know, for Syracuse, I I think what we did maybe underrate with Dungy was his intangibles and his leadership abilities because that offense just looks like they have no leadership. Um and that's when you hope Dino would be able to step in and provide a spark and maybe he'll be able to give it to him. But, um, yeah, Dungy, big shoes to fill, big shoes to fill. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm rooting for DeVito. He certainly, you see flashes of it. Um, but then you see the, the issues with the body language and the, uh, the, the sideline issues. And it just, it makes you wonder. So let's jump over to the ACC Coastal. So, you know, again, that seesaw just keeps going back and forth. We had UVA as a road dog against Miami, and, you know, everybody outside of the ACC was scratching their heads. How could this be? Why is UVA a road dog? And, you know, I think we saw why on Friday night. And, you know, it was a low-scoring affair. I think that's kind of what everybody somewhat expected. I can't remember what the over-under was on this game. I think it was 44 or Mm -hmm. something. Um, and yeah, it was well under that. So Miami ends up winning 17 to nine, their first conference win. So it was a big win for Miami because to this point they hadn't beaten anybody worth talking about and they were O N two in conference. So that win really kind of saved their coastal hopes, even though they are very slim as far as winning the division. Right. But, you know, we thought this game would be led by the defense and it was. And, you know, UVA only had 74 yards on the ground compared to Miami's 83. You know, they lost a turnover battle one to nothing, so it was nothing, you know, too devastating one way or the other. But in this game, you know, it is pretty critical. Miami didn't turn it into points, so it didn't really end up hurting them that much. But, you know, the Hurricanes, they came out, they drive down the field on their first drive, very methodical, 11 plays, 78 yards. You're like, okay, you know, that was a little bit unexpected and then the next six drives they basically went nowhere they had 33 yards on 23 plays so six possessions ended in six punts they didn't really do anything tim until the fourth quarter and they got 147 out of their 265 yards on its final two drives that included a touchdown that was pretty critical because they were only up 10 to 9 with about 739 to go and then Nikosi Perry put together a nice little 10-play, 75-yard drive, ended up rushing in a touchdown, only gave UVA the ball back with 231 remaining, and they couldn't they couldn't do anything with the football. So the defense had a very nice day. You know, UVA didn't do a very good job of getting the ball across midfield. You know, they had a blocked field goal, or I guess you could call it that. It was kind of a really funky-looking yeah. um, 
funky looking kick. It was a low trajectory shot. Yeah, for sure. low low trajectory. So, you know, UVA for me, Tim. You know, the big the biggest impact out of this game was obviously they lost Bryce Hall, and uh, looked like he yeah. had a really bad leg injury at, at I can't remember what quarter it was. Maybe a third quarter. Third quarter, I believe. And, you know, I didn't really seek out the highlight. I didn't really care to see it because when a a coach runs up and immediately throws a flag over your leg. I'm assuming it's not very good. So, you know, unfortunately he's probably out for the season, uh, tough way for an all American like him to kind of end his college career. Uh, but hopefully he has a speedy recovery. Um, you know, outside of that, Virginia only managed 12 points or nine points. I should say all off of field goals. And, Coming into this game, they've only scored field goals in the two quarters before. So that's six quarters, nothing but field goals. So the offense is really struggling. And the reason they're struggling, Tim, is because they're a one-man show, which is what we were saying coming into the season. If Bryce Perkins ain't getting the job done, then nobody's going to get the job done on this offense. And they didn't score a single touchdown. He was sacked five times. They only had 27 yards on the ground. and Or he only had 27 yards on the ground. And just, again, looked very pedestrian as a passer. 25 for 42, 252. You know, didn't have the mistakes that he had against Notre Dame. But, you know, poor offensive line play. It's really starting to come to light. No run game. You know, Wayne Tuolapapa, you know, he finished with as many rushing yards as, as Perkins with 27. The opposing defenses know who they got to stop in this UVA offense. And if they can keep Hasai Stabuoy and Joe Reed in check in the secondary, this team's going to struggle because they have yeah. nobody else to go to. You know, Reed is, is a dynamic playmaker. He's really started to kind of come to light over the last few weeks. He only had five catches. And the one big play he did have, the 72-yard kickoff return in the fourth corner, it got Virginia deep into Miami territory. Virginia only got a field goal out of it. They went seven plays, zero yards, and that's just not good enough. So, you know, I left thinking kind of what I already thought. I didn't think Virginia was that good on offense, and I didn't think that coming into the season. You know, they had some flashes in the beginning of the year, but, you know, the last few weeks they just haven't been as consistent. They haven't been that disciplined, and uh, it's really starting to come to light. So I don't know what your thoughts were on this one. Yeah, no, I think my thoughts are pretty much in line with yours. When you watch that game, it's just Virginia definitely does not look like a top five, top 25 team. They haven't really all year to me, and, and we've been really hypercritical, surprise, two Hokies hypercritical of UVA, but hypercritical of UVA's inability to be explosive on offense. Um, and that just really is what did them in. When you look at what they were able to do, it wasn't a whole lot from a point perspective. But even watching them, it just – you kind of knew what you were going to get out of them, and they were no, there was no threat on offense from them. Um, you know, with Bryce Perkins, it's kind of weird to say that, but you're so used to Bryce. I think the defenses are now one, uh, as opposed to last year. They have a lot of film on Bryce and know how to best corral him, um, even though sometimes he just can't be corralled. He will always get those, you know, multitude of first downs every game where, um, you know, he'll get two or three unplays that break down. But then you're looking for playmakers on the edge, you're not really seeing those. You're looking for playmakers in the backfield. You're not really seeing those. Uh, all respect to Ula Papa, who's got a great name. Um, 
but you're not really seeing any explosivity out of those halfbacks. And, and it really one of the big issues for Virginia is, is that offensive line is bad. Um, they're bad. They don't get pushed, and they hardly protect the quarterback. Um, it's kind of dire to think about where they would be if Bryce Perkins wasn't their quarterback and they had somebody maybe less mobile. Um, but I think Bryce has been able to hide some of that all year um, because his ability to move kind of takes the pressure off the, that offensive line playing as well as they have. Um, and they just ran into a situation where, you know, we said going into last, you know, last week on the preview podcast, this is going to be a hard matchup for them because they're dealing with a, with a defense here whose lateral quickness is, is really, really good. Um, and what lateral speed and lateral quickness does for you, especially if you are a talented defense, is it really, really makes a team with a lack of explosive players on the edge and a lack of explosive players in the backfield look very, very mundane and very, very run of the mill. And that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, moving forward, I think obviously this is a shot in the arm. Miami needed it, um, but Miami still didn't look great. Um, and they have they have their own problems that they have to figure out. They needed this win. Where does Miami go? I don't know that this changed my opinion of Miami. Um, you know, I certainly expected a much better team this year, and the team still does not look very good, and that's disheartening. Um, but it's a start for UVA. Um, looking at that schedule, the, the Coastal is going to be a battle almost week in and week out. And, and, you know, Miami, again, providing another page to the blueprint of how to contain Bryce Perkins and the Cavaliers. So, um, you know, those are my thoughts, kind of the same as yours. It's just, uh, you know, where do you go from here if you're UVA? Um, you know, given the fact that you've struggled to score so mightily against Miami and that those those playmakers that you would hoping would, would bubble up haven't to this point in the season. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think my my takeaway was I wasn't surprised with the game because, again, like, the national media seems to just think much more highly of Virginia than anybody close to the ACC thinks of Virginia. And I, I just don't know why that is. I haven't been able to figure it out. But Virginia's got a lot of interesting games coming up. They've got Duke next week, and that's for the number one position overall in the Coastal because they're 1-2 right now. You've got at Louisville, at UNC, then you get Georgia Tech, and then you got Virginia Tech with a game against Liberty thrown in between. So, you know, the next three games for, for Virginia, Duke, at Louisville, at North Carolina, you know, I'm going to be watching that with, with a magnifying glass because I they're not going to run through that slate undefeated. I don't think so. And uh, it's just a matter of who, who knocks them off. Any of those teams can win. Virginia can beat any of those teams. And, I mean, I think that's the great thing about the ACC right now. It's, hey, if you're not going to field a bunch of great teams, you might as well make the season interesting because the season's very interesting right now. So at least the ACC – and teams in the ACC and their fans have that going for them. So, you know, I'd much rather watch what's happening in the ACC right now than, you know, Penn State, Iowa play a football game. Right. Uh, so let's jump over to Louisville at Wake Forest, Tim. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, crazy game. <laughs> Second highest scoring game in ACC history, 121 points. The highest that scoring game ever was 137. And I mean, I thought it would be very high scoring. I didn't think it would be that high scoring. 62-59, Louisville hangs on. Wake was actually down 52-31 with six and a half minutes left. And most of their fans had flooded out of the stadium. Sam Hartman was actually in the game as quarterback, and he's a guy who is going to take a red shirt this season. 
Uh, but again, you still got that four games that you can play with the new redshirt rules. Well, he ends up throwing two touchdowns in 35 seconds with an onside kick recovery in between. But Louisville ends up hanging on their first victory against a ranked team since 2016. Their first win against a ranked team on the road since 2011. Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback then, just to give you an idea of how long ago that was. The job that Satterfield is doing right now just cannot be understated. Like, this was a team that was 2-10 and 10 last year. They hadn't won a conference game since 2017 until Satterfield took over. And they're not only competing, they're winning games. And I understand the ACC's down, but Louisville, that offense is, is legit. Their defense, not so much, <laughs> but that offense is good. And that offense is what is going to keep them in games. But, you know, the defense really, you know, as bad as it's been, it really just hasn't mattered for the most part. And, you know, watching this team against Clemson will be interesting. You know, they obviously will be overwhelmed athletically. And that's the case really in most games that they're in. But, you know, I expect them to have a little bit of a better performance against Clemson than Florida State did. And we'll talk about that game in a little bit. But, you know, in this one, Wake Forest... They made a lot of mistakes. They couldn't slow down a Louisville offense. You know, no matter if it was Mikhail Cunningham, who left with a pretty nasty-looking leg injury, but, you know, he was standing on the sideline, so hopefully he's going to be okay. And then Evan Conley comes in, freshman quarterback, and, you know, led this team to victory. The Wake Forest special teams was absolutely atrocious. They gave up over 45 yards per kick return, including a 100-yard kick return for a touchdown. And, you know, Jamie Newman didn't play his best game, but he played pretty well. It was really just mistakes here and there, just throughout the entire team that just didn't put this team in very good position. They were down 28-7 at one point. They came back, made it, you know, more of a game towards the latter part of the first half. But, again, you know, Louisville just did a little bit too much. you got to imagine if, you know, Wake Forest had a turnover or two back, Things would have been a little bit different, but that's the way that the game fell. So I don't know what you uh, thought about this one, but it was a uh, it was an offensive showdown. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, you know, it, it's a shame about Newman. Um, you know, but the thing is, just mystifies me is how good the Louisville offense is, and what we're seeing from them is crazy, especially considering you know the loss of the quarterback and the ball just kept being moved. And I realized that. Winston-Salem, Winston-Salem, Wake Forest, not the best defense in the world, but they've played some all right games this year. Um, to see them get, get dominated uh, offensively the way they did was shocking. Um, you know, if you dig into the stats, it's exactly what you would expect to see. It's a lot of rushing yards for Louisville, um, and Conley came in and played a solid, solid game. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw the beginning of this game, but the coaches on Louisville's sidelines are, are really into the pregame rituals. I don't know how much of this was playing up to the camera and how much of it was how these guys are on a weekend, week out basis, but I mean, there were bloody noses. You know, Dwayne Ledford, the uh, offensive coordinator, offensive line, uh, was getting in there ripping his offensive linemen around. It seemed like a couple of coaches were having weird uh, arguments on the sideline pregame. So going in, you knew you were going to get a really good Louisville team. Or, or just a train wreck, but obviously you got the uh, the good version of Louisville, and, and 
the Louisville that we've been seeing all year. Um, it's crazy where our expectations were going into the season for this Louisville team and where they are now. Um, that's a hard, hard, hard offense to stop and, and wait until Satterfield gets his guys and they should really, really be shooting up. Um, and, you know, on the Wake Forest side, it's just it, it's a shame to see the defense let them down because the offense certainly did enough. Um, you know, Newman, not as you know, a particularly great game, but still a good game from him. Uh, responsible for three touchdowns and Sam Hartman comes in there and, and plays extremely well almost racks up 200 yards in limited time um you know rushing extremely doing extremely well Sage Sherrod almost with a 200 yard game um not enough to get it done because the defense just couldn't do anything to slow down Louisville um and uh you know it's, it's a shame to see if, you, if you're a Demon Deacon fan but um you know Wake Forest will bounce back and they'll get that defense situation straightened out um, and this may be, as weird as it is to say, uh, the best offensive team they're going to face all year. Yeah, no, that is quite possible. And, you know, Wake Forest, you know, they've got an interesting schedule coming up. I'm not going to say it's like overly difficult because they've got Florida State on there. Uh, NC State defensively uh, will be a challenge for this group. And uh, then they're on the road at Virginia Tech and on the road at Clemson. So, uh, we'll definitely get challenging going into mid-November, uh, but you know, with that offense with Jamie Newman, you know they got to feel good about every game that they that they enter. So let's jump. And so, do we know what the prognosis is on Newman? Because he got banged up. Yeah, you know he was banged up, so I couldn't tell. You know, I was flipping back and forth. I couldn't tell if he was out of the game because he was injured, or yeah. if they had just decided to put in Hartman because they thought the game was out of reach. I couldn't tell either. I just saw that ice on the shoulder, and it made me so he um, had, think maybe that's why they took him out. He had banged up his not. shoulder earlier in the game, but then came back in. Gotcha. And so I assumed the reason Hartman was in was just, you know, the game was 52-31 to 31 or whatever. Right. With seven minutes left, why not get Hartman some, some reps? And then Hartman started kind of leading this little comeback. So Yeah, he looked good. Yeah, and I mean – you know, that was a quarterback battle to start the year. Hartman looked pretty good last year, but he's a young guy. He was a true freshman last year, so no reason to to not redshirt him this year with the way Newman's playing. So, you know, it's a yeah. good uh, good situation that, that Wake Forest is in going forward. Let's, uh, let's jump over to Duke, Georgia Tech. Not a whole lot to say about this one. Duke got up 38-10 in the first half and uh, essentially just took their – foot off the gas in the second they actually got outscored six to three in the second half but you know did enough to win in the first half you know nothing uh you know too glaring you know ran the ball pretty well um you know i guess quentin harris had an okay game it's a game against georgia tech i don't have a ton to say about this i didn't spend much time watching this game there was way too many other good games on for me to waste time watching duke georgia tech play but uh, I don't know if you had any other thoughts on this one. No, I, I went through and watched a condensed game, but uh, James Graham, I think, was my main takeaway. I was kind of interested to see what he would look like for the Yellow Jackets, um, and not great. So it, it's no surprise. It, it's a tough offense to be a, a quarterback of right now. There's a lot of pieces that are missing and a lot of pieces that don't fit the correct holes. Um, so, you know, no surprise here. Uh, Georgia Tech, again, showing fight, which you would expect, you know, uh, fighting hard for the new coach. Um, but, you know, they're still going to be looking for their first ACC win, I think, for a while. So, um, 
nothing really to take away other than Duke looked pretty good, but they were playing Georgia Tech, and it's a shame that we weren't able to see a little bit better game from James Graham, but, you know, um, it's still early yet for him in his career. Uh, last game of the week to hit on Clemson 45, Florida State 14. This was an absolute disaster for Willie Tackard like and company. Uh, Alex Hornibrook and James Blackman both played. Uh, they combined to go 17 for 35 for 150 and three picks. Uh, so not exactly what you want out of the quarterback position. Uh, Trevor Lawrence played for pretty much the first half and then didn't play much in the second half, but probably one of the better games he's had, 17 for 25, 173 scores. Travis Etienne, he uh, ran for over 100 yards for the second time this season. You know, again, not a lot to say here. Clemson ran all over Florida State. They averaged six yards per carry, had over 300 yards rushing. You know, Florida State offensively could just do nothing. Cam Akers couldn't get going. He really struggles against Clemson. Uh, probably because Clemson knows that he's really the only guy that has a chance of, of beating them, and uh, they know that they have to stop him. So Florida State, four turnovers, fumbled the three picks I mentioned, and they had the ball for 20 minutes offensively. So really, really good game for Willie Taggart and company to build off of. Yeah, um, this was tough and, and not at all what I surprised or, or was expecting to see again. So I was definitely surprised in this regard. I thought Florida State would figure out how to make it a little more difficult for Clemson. Obviously, that didn't pan out. Uh, as you said, Akers continues his mysterious struggles as he looks unstoppable uh, against anyone else. Um, you know, I thought Kalen Lambarn looked really good for Florida State. So, you know, another Virginia kid showing out there. Um you know, Tamari and Terry popped a couple of times when he was able to get his hands or his, his hands on the ball. Yeah, like twice. Um, twice, right. Um, both went for large gains. Um, you know, but this was the Clemson that we were expecting to see, uh, you know, this entire season. We certainly haven't had it, which led to us thinking that this might be closer than originally expected. But we finally got another 100-yard game from Travis Etienne. Uh, We finally saw Trevor Lawrence look as efficient as he should, although he still threw one interception, um, which you'd like to see him clean up. Uh, But yeah, Clemson has no problem dispatching Florida State here. Um, And, you know, you should never judge a a coach with how he looks against a team like Clemson. Um, But Florida State has to get be getting impatient, uh, you know, with Taggart and what's going on down there. It, it seems like his leash is going to get continually shorter and shorter uh, by the day. Uh, three and three at this point just isn't going to cut it for Florida State. And, um, you know, the schedule is not going to afford them many other weeks that they can take off. So, um, you know, to see Florida State outside of a bowl game for the second season in a row is something that's a real possibility and is completely surprising. Um, so, yeah, we'll keep our eyes on them moving forward. Yeah, and I mean – as far as I'm concerned, Willie Taggart doesn't have a leash anymore. You know, the the leash... They're just holding him by the collar yeah, at this point. The the leash is gone. And he's got six more games as head coach, and then he's going to be fired. I, there's just no doubt in my mind, because unless they go 6-0, and which that's not going to happen, you know, there's there's just no shot of him coming back as head coach. It's been a, just an unmitigated disaster with him down in Tallahassee. He clearly doesn't have a grip on you know, the team on and off the field. Was I surprised the outcome of this game? Absolutely not. You know, I would have been more surprised had they actually kept it close. Now, they had been playing a little bit better over the course of the last two, three games. Yeah. But, 
you know, Clemson also came in here with something to prove because they, they had been hearing a lot of chatter in the media about, you know, they don't belong and, you know, they're not that good and yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, at the end of the day, when Clemson was up against the wall against an inferior opponent like North Carolina, they came out and they won, unlike Georgia against South Carolina, a team that North Carolina beat, by the way. So, right. you know, that's just the little – ACC bias going on. Everybody's going to be able to take a shot at Clemson when they don't play up to what we expect Clemson to play, which I guess is having to beat everybody by four, five, six touchdowns every single week. And, you know, that's just not realistic. You know, the ACC, yeah, not a great football conference at the moment. But to expect Clemson to beat every opponent by 35-plus points, that's not realistic either. So at the end of the day, Clemson, they extend their win streak to 21 games. You know, they're cruising. They've got Wake Forest. They're on the road uh, this weekend. You know, I don't expect them to to lose, you know, but I don't expect them to blow Wake out either. So, um, you know, maybe a touchdown or two, maybe three touchdowns, but any more than that, I'd be kind of surprised, even though that Wake defense is really bad. So maybe anything could happen there, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, Florida State was not surprised by their performance. Um, otherwise, Tim, interesting week. Uh, week 7 in the ACC. Week 8 just brings us more conference play uh, as we keep going deeper and deeper. We'll start to try and make more sense of this Coastal. But my guess is it's going to be even more clouded after next weekend with Duke and Virginia, North Carolina, Virginia Tech playing. You know, it's... it's uh, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, this week's preview episode is going to be fun. And, um, you know, the deeper we get into conference play and we start realizing that this ACC uh, wheel of doom in the coastal side is just going to continue to spin and spin and spin uh, is kind of exciting. You know, there's no clear-cut dominant team. Um, not that we really expected one, but I don't think we expected it to be as wide open as it is right now. Um, and as you said, this lends itself to really just competitive games that mean a whole lot for the rest of the season. Um, you know, so if you aren't an SEC elitist, um, if you aren't someone that thinks Big Ten is, is the, you know, the best conference in football and you want some really, really competitive conference games to watch, man, the ACC Coastal is pumping out some good stuff. So, um, you know, I'm excited to talk about it, but yeah, we, we head into another big week and, uh, yeah, we'll see where our Hokies are. We'll see where this Coastal Division shakes out in another week, and uh should be a lot of fun. Yeah, so that's our show for this week. Once again, we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can head on over to ChowderandGrits.com. You can find all of our content there. You can find out a little bit more about us. Uh, also, head on over to Twitter, at Chowder and Grits. Uh, would love to conversate with you over there, especially on game days and uh facebook as well and then of course anywhere you listen to podcasts you'll be able to find us apple Podcasts, spotify seem to be the favorites but tim why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us leave us a review uh four or five stars much appreciated anything lower maybe talk to us before you post it hopefully we can talk you out of it um you know share our content share our posts talk to us interact with us on facebook and twitter let us know what you like what you don't like what you'd like to see we appreciate all the interaction that we can get 
Um, and we'll keep out pumping out these shows, getting in touch with you guys on Twitter, posting content, and uh, yeah, genuinely just having a blast going over these ACC games week in and week out. So um, stick with us, uh, more stuff in store, and we look forward to uh, conversing with you guys in the very near future. So check out our next episode that's going to come up after this. We'll be out on Thursday morning. Uh, Check it out for all of your previews for the next week. And we look forward to speaking with you guys when that episode drops. So, uh, yeah, I'll leave you as usual with a go ACC and uh, go Hokies as we head into do battle with the uh, UNC Tar Heels next week. See you guys later.